networking is an art and it takes time and it can feel daunting, but everybody there are there for the same purpose to network and to meet new people. So often the best trick is go and introduce yourself and then ask questions and listen because people out there want to share their story, want to talk about themselves often. So it's actually a good way then that helps you to ease your nerves. And as you go to the next person, the next person, you learn more. And also you're giving the opportunity to the other person to share about their lives, their stories, their business, their experience. And that's a way you can interact with them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business Success Japan podcast. This is your host, Ludi Bikuman. This podcast is made for those who want to develop or strengthen the communication skills, cultural savvy, insights into current trends and conditions, and mindsets that are essential in a Japanese business environment. The helpful practical suggestions and engaging insights offered here provide listeners with the in depth cultural context needed to achieve their own version of success while collaborating with Japanese counterparts. In today's episode, I get to share a conversation that I had with Robert Helt. After a career in hospitality and advertising, Robert co founded Custom Media, an award winning integrated digital marketing and strategic communications agency in Tokyo in 2008. He regularly advises global brands on their market entry and expansion strategies for Japan. Robert has launched several successful media and content platforms, the most recent being GoConnect, an award winning digital marketing platform that features interesting content and great offers and experiences for foreigners living in or visiting Japan. He also judges at the annual Japan Market Expansion Competition and is a deputy chair of Animal Refuge Kansai. Be sure to check out his links in the description of this episode to learn more. Thank you. Thank you, Lydia. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to have this chat with you. My name is Robert Held. I'm from Chennai, which is in the southeast coast of India. And so while doing university, I took an apprentice job in the hospitality sector in the front office. And while I was working on that job, I got an opportunity to go and work in a resort hotel in the Maldives. And so I started an entry level position there in front office and later, you know, grew in the role. Into a management position in,、uh, as an accommodations and guest relations officer. It was a fantastic job taking care of guests from arrival to departure, including VIPs. And I organized events, excursions, private events, private parties, liaised with travel agencies and tour guides, and、uh, you know, made sure that they had a good,、uh, memorable holiday with us. And I got to meet with remarkable people from all over the world, work with remarkable people. And you know, I was very fortunate to meet my future wife over there. We got married in India and then I moved to Japan in 2004. So, did you move to Japan because your wife was Japanese, or what brought you to Japan? That's right, yes. So, I moved to、uh, start a family in Japan. And what area of Japan did you end up coming to? So, we moved to Tokyo,、uh, to Tachikawa、uh, initially. That's where we,、uh, we started. Um, but for me, coming to Japan, you know,、um, I was quite fascinated by the advertising scene over here. Everywhere I went, there was this bold, creative, sometimes boring adverts,、uh, you know, that kind of drew my attention. And I was really fascinated with, with this industry.、Um, so I wanted to get started into it and look for opportunities in advertising and media. So I found a job、uh, doing advertising sales for an English publisher, selling advertising space for the American Chamber of Commerce in Japan's membership magazine.、And、I did that for about three years and then、um, saw an opportunity for bilingual media and marketing. 
And so I decided to start Custom Media in 2008. Um, I've always wanted to start my own business. At the time, there weren't many smaller kind of boutique publishing companies or marketing firms that were doing bilingual content. Of course, the bigger players had bigger teams and could you know, put together bilingual content. And this is before digital marketing, as we now know, it expanded. You know, There wasn't Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. They weren't uh, the marketing channels in Japan at the time. So you know, for me, I wanted to kind of grow in bilingual ma- marketing and media. And so over the last 15 years, you know, grew the business and expanded it beyond magazine publishing to become a fully bilingual integrated agency. And that's kind of where the business is today. And then in 2020, you know, when COVID hit, most of the small businesses were struggling, especially those in the travel hospitality sector, you know, uh, and typically in any downturn economy or crisis, you know, along with layoffs or freezing uh, of hiring, the first thing that you know, most businesses cut in terms of budget is marketing spend, right? But uh, strategically, that is when businesses should be promoting themselves because you need more customers to stay in business, right? So smaller businesses could not afford that. You know, as much as they wanted to, they could not, right? So we launched CoConnect, which is a digital marketplace platform to support these small businesses by providing them free uh, advertising and marketing and trying to get them to reach, you know, newer customer audiences uh, to stay in business. And then over the last two years, you know, with uh, offering the service, we've seen demand for uh, this from smaller businesses and many of our members on the platform. So we decided to expand and invest in it and make it a fully automated marketplace. Great. So what sorts of industries does your company end up supporting on that platform in terms of small businesses or is it all industries? It's mostly B2C, anything that's direct to consumer. So hospitality, food and beverage, leisure, entertainment are the the top sectors. But we also have B2B in terms of training, uh, you know, or legal services. You know, those those are the other kind of businesses. And we also support um, charities and nonprofits. Great. So going back to what you were saying about founding a bilingual media company, it just seems kind of late in the game for there to have not been a bilingual media company in the same way that your company functions. Do you have any idea why that might be or what were there any barriers involved in that? I mean, the bigger players were definitely, you know, uh, in the market providing bilingual marketing. You know, I think uh, bilingual marketing, you know, uh, resources are the, the key challenge. You need fully bilingual you know, staff, especially in terms of editorial and content that understands, you know, uh, cultural nuances. So often, you know, uh, what we get is companies putting out websites that are just translated, not transcreated. So they lose the nuance to an appeal to the Japanese consumer, like to understand the Japanese consumer mindset. So it takes more time and it takes a lot of resources. So, you know, putting together a team that can deliver that in-house can be, you know, quite quite challenging. So smaller companies, you know, prefer to stay in a niche and then focus on certain sectors or certain industries. And if there is no need for it to be bilingual, it does help to keep, you know, your cost down, keep your resources limited. So then just based on what you're seeing being in the trenches with everything that's going on right now, it seems like a time that 
people are either very excited or very nervous or both in a lot of cases. But what, from your perspective, do you see happening with the upcoming tourism boom that will likely happen this year? Oh, I think it's an exciting time. I think, you know, when Japan reopened its borders to individual tourists last year, visitor numbers just jumped, right? I think in November, Japan recorded almost a million uh, tourists, you know, to Japan. At the same time, uh, October last year, the companies in the sector also benefited from, you know, Japan's national travel discount program. It was a government-funded program to subsidize trips within Japan, so that also helped to boost tourism. I believe that this year will be a growth year for the travel sector, both domestic, inbound, outbound as well. You know, pre-pandemic in 2019, almost 32 million uh, tourists visited Japan, right? And if you're looking at just November's numbers, you know, I think it's a good indicator that where, you know, Japan is and Japan is still a popular destination. You know, and as a matter of fact, I think, Japan was the second most Googled post-quarantine vacation destination in the world, you know, so uh, after Australia. So that shows that, you know, there's still interest in Japan. And, you know, also during the pandemic, you know, prefectures and regions, they received large government grants called Ojokin to promote their local destinations, especially to inbound tourists. So this will also further boost, you know, Japan's appeal. So they're investing a lot in promoting, you know, the various regions of Japan to international travelers. I think all of this is is going to have a positive uh, effect on on Japan. Not to mention, you know, the Japanese yen has been pretty weak, although we're starting to see a little, you know, bounce back. So yeah, I think all of that will combine and be an attractive year in terms of tourism for Japan. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how things start working out this year. But in your perspective, is there any amount of rebuilding that needs to happen in order to meet this pent-up demand to travel in Japan? Because having the borders closed for two years, I'm sure that a lot of businesses that were geared towards tourism went out of business or weren't able to stay open during the past two years. So do you think there's going to be some challenges with just meeting the needs of tourists in this coming two, three years? I think the challenges, and this is for the hospitality sector, not just in Japan globally, has been, you know, resources, right? Because, you know, many, uh, you know, people working in the industry got laid off and you need to move on with their lives and, you know, had taken other jobs or switched industries or, uh, learn to go freelance and be individual. So attracting, you know, um, talented, um, you know, staff in, in the hospitality sector, which is, it's a pretty high service sector. You, you know, they, they are well-trained. So when you lose that talent, it's it's, it's uh, difficult to, to find replacement talent or it takes time to, you know, track talent and train them and get them back, uh, get them on the workforce. So I think that's, and, and I'm seeing that already in in in, uh, in in Tokyo with you know certain restaurants. Even these are five star hotels that are struggling with, you know, service uh, because they don't have the staff or they had to shut down their restaurant, even though they they can operate financially. You know, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge, people. And the same with the airline industry and hotels and you know anything in hospitality and tourism. You know, finding. Uh, talented staff, often bilingual staff, you know, if they're servicing international tourists, you know, is is the, is the key. That's a challenge that 
you know, once the sector can overcome, I think uh, that should be good. Yeah, I'm sure that this is a hard question, but do you have any idea how they might be able to find that bilingual talent? Because just looking at the statistics of bilingualism in Japan itself, it seems like it's a little bit hard to source that sort of talent. I know, and that's a, that's a struggle we have in our own business. Uh, you know, um, uh, most of our team members are fully bilingual and need to be in order to service our clients and, and you know understand, you know, uh, not only you know, language but also culture. So our team members, especially our Japanese team members, have lived abroad, studied abroad, you know, and you know understand, you know, have a global mindset and can relate to that when dealing with, you know, international business-minded people, right? It, it is a tough question, yeah. I, I think it just depends on uh, how much the, t- the businesses are willing to invest in training a team and what's the, you know, point where they're going to say, okay, it doesn't need to be perfectly bilingual, but certain level of language skills are going to be enough for this role, and then you can train for the missing, you know, uh, uh, elements. I think that's kind of what uh, companies will need to do. So... Do you have any recommendations for people who may be hoping to come to Japan for travel or possibly get a little bit of sightseeing in when they come over for a business trip? Do you have any recommendations for finding great experiences without preferably breaking the bank while they're here? Sure. I mean, you know, uh, Japan's amazing. It has a lot to offer tourists, right? There are amazing experiences that are either free or less expensive and it really depends on the destination that you know you're visiting but if you take Tokyo for example Tokyo is a beautiful city if you want to take in a full panoramic view of you know the city you immediately think of an observation deck you know you've got Roppongi Hills, Kai Tree, Tokyo Tower they're all reasonably priced um, you know to to go in and um, get, get a good experience of Tokyo but then you've got the Tokyo Metropolitan Government Building in Shinjuku. How many people know this? The observation deck there is free and open to the public. So, you know, you can, you can get the same experience from, you know, Skytree as you would probably get from the Tokyo Government Building, good view of Mount Fuji and also the other towers, right? And there are many parks in, in, in Tokyo uh, and all around the country you know, that one can visit that's, that's, that's free, Imperial Palace has beautiful gardens. It's very scenic. The Hamariki Garden in Shimbashi, uh, which kind of dates back to the Edo period, that has a free English guided tours during the week. You know, and uh, just thinking about not spending money at all, you know, the, the many things you can do. Shibuya Crossing is an experience in and of itself. And not far from there, you know, you've got Harajuku, which is the the trendy spot for youth culture and, you know, it's shopping district, Takeshita Dori, right? But then, you know, uh, if possible, I'd also recommend, you know, participating in local matsuris. That's a good way to, for one, to immerse themselves in traditional culture. You know, the, the list goes on. There's just really a lot, you know, one can find Japan has to offer. So I would recommend doing a little bit of research, seeing, you know, especially if you're looking for a cultural experience, which is, you know, what many people come to Japan for this it's amazing uh, experience, you know, do a little bit of research and you can find a lot of things to do. Yeah, definitely. And just for context, Matsuri is festivals and especially in summertime, there's quite a few, a lot of them will have fireworks. So every place kind of has their own Matsuri's going on at different times. But how do you recommend 
people go about finding information about these events, about these free ideas, free or inexpensive ideas for traveling in Japan? Because there's obviously a lot of information on the internet, but one, some of it may be out of date, especially given everything that's happened in the last couple of years. And two, it's just hard to know what's trustworthy <laughs> on the internet in the first place. Sure, yes, there's lots of uh, you know information on the internet, but I find that there are many international and domestic media sites that you know maintain uh, updated information, and these are global you know uh, media uh, you know sites like Tokyo Timeout, uh, Tokyo Cheapo, the domestic ones like Tokyo Weekender or Savvy Tokyo. Right for our part, you know what we are doing is we're working hard to make it really easy for foreigners by curating lists of English-friendly resources and seasonal experiences on our platform, both for tourists and also for foreigners living here. You know, I think you know, those who move to live in Japan also want to take in Japan, experience it you know, at their own pace, and they don't have the you know, time constraints as tourists have. So you know, they, 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 they can enjoy you know, experiencing Japan you know, during their stay, whether it's one year, two years, or five-year period, right? So our uh, GoConnect platform, we have a weekly newsletter that goes out to all our members. And by the way, membership on our platform is completely free. So members can sign up and receive the newsletter, which has original articles, curated lists of uh, you know, English-friendly resources, but also you know, um, discounted experiences, products, services, and much more. And you know, what's unique about Go Connect versus you know other uh, media that uh, that are out there is we combine content with useful experiences and offers. You know, so members can get you know uh, the information, but also get to leverage the special discounts that we offer to enjoy their stay. You know, our goal is pretty simple. You know, we want to provide interesting content and exciting offers that enrich the lives of our members, whether they are residents or tourists visiting Japan. So give something, uh, we have something in it for everybody. That way they can get the information, but also get to experience it and also get a good discount on, on the product or service or travel offering. Great. And I'll be sure to put a link to the website in the description of this episode. So be sure to check that out later. But I was just wondering if most of the content there is geared more towards the Tokyo area or the Tokyo, Kyoto, Nara, Osaka area. That's kind of the main parts of Japan that most tourists end up in. Or does it also cover information in more rural or specialized or obscure areas in Japan? We're starting off, of course, with the, the key cities and then expanding out, you know, throughout Japan. Yeah, so that's that's the goal for us to provide information throughout how to enjoy your stay throughout Japan. So do you have any idea what people might be able to do to find information in those more specific areas of Japan? Would you recommend they try to figure out how to get in contact with different tourism boards in the areas that they want to go to or anything else? Yeah, I would suggest, uh, you know, the, domestic, the local tourism boards, the prefectural websites and, you know, the... Um, the local tourism boards definitely, as I said earlier, you know they they have uh, you know good budgets, marketing budgets, so they are investing in in providing information. In fact, we worked with the Tokyo Convention and Tourism Bureau and you know providing content about 
trips around Japan, not just Tokyo uh, for that matter. So yes, and during the Rugby World Cup, we helped to promote sports tourism. So we helped to produce a website called Japan Sports Journey uh, that has you know, a lot of information about sports tourism and enjoying Japan uh, during you know the Rugby World Cup and, and beyond. So you know, uh, tourism parties and local governments are investing in promoting their areas. So definitely check that out. Again, those will be authentic sources. You know, those projects take time, you know, to, to go up and it, it's done thoroughly. So we those projects, you know, take six months to a year to get everything right. It's all about perfection and accurate information. So definitely trustworthy sources uh, to go and check out. Do you know if there's a centralized web page that lists different boards or is that something that people will just have to try to figure out how to do a Google search for? Because for some people, just the act of searching, especially if they don't know Japanese, can be a little bit of a challenge. Well, Japan National Tourist Organization, JNTO, that would be the one to, to start with. And from there on out, they do have you know other websites and it's also a global site with multiple languages. So. So are there any other English-friendly resources that might be available to people while they're in Japan, whether it's related to just the day-to-day getting around, maybe if they have safety concerns or anything like that? Uh, often it's the um, embassy websites. You know, the embassies have very thorough guides on, you know, what to do, what not to do when, when visiting Japan, you know, how to get assistance and you know, contact emergency contact numbers you know, the, the very practical information, you know, uh, because again, you know, tourists would have a language barrier. Uh, so their, you know, embassy website would be the first place to go. So would you mind telling us a little bit more about your experience or knowledge of the international community that you've been exposed to in Japan? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, the international community in Japan is quite active, especially in Tokyo. You know, throughout my career, I've been very fortunate to meet interact and learn from mentors, senior business leaders, you know, who are part of these international communities. They're usually very gracious with their time, with their knowledge and expertise, and helps put me in, in the right direction and, you know, help mentor me to get started. And there are several ways to get involved and be active in the international community. Most countries, they have an international chamber of commerce, that facilitates trade uh, and business between the home country and, and Japan. And you don't need to be a citizen of that country to become a member of these chambers of commerce. Um, you know, that's sometimes kind of uh, confusing. People think, well, do I need to be American to join the American Chamber of Commerce? Not necessarily. There, there, there are, of course, you know, application guidelines and, and criteria. If you meet that, you know, you can become a member in the most prominent and active chambers in, in Tokyo, you know, are the American Chamber, the British, Canadian, Australia, New Zealand, South African, Brazilian. And there are several European Chambers of Commerce and also, you know, uh, European Council for Business. So these are kind of business organizations that, you know, you can become a member and uh, kind of get involved in the community. Then there are also membership clubs and societies. You know, for example, the Tokyo American Club, the Yokohama Country and Athletic Club, the Kobe Country Club, the Foreign Correspondents Club of Japan, 
There is the America Japan Society, Japan British Society, Australia Society. The list goes on. You know,、um, all these organizations they have, you know, regular educational, business, or social events. And you know, if any of your listeners are interested, I would recommend they first look for their home country chamber of commerce, you know, or their home country society, and join them, become a member there, and get active in that community. And finally, there are many worthy nonprofit organizations set up and run by foreigners and the international community, tackling societal issues, you know, from refugees and children with cancer,、uh, to abuse and unwanted children and animals. You know, the the causes are are many. Just to name a few organizations:、um, Refugee Empowerment International, Shine On Kids, Mirai No Mori, Uwe Me, Yamato. Knights and White Lycra, and all these NPOs and more of them are actually listed on our GoConnect platform, including ways you can volunteer and get involved in these,、uh, you know,、uh, nonprofits. And you know,、uh, for our part, you know, my agency, Custom Media, and my team, we support the organizations that I just mentioned. We offer them branding and marketing and PR services. And、uh, personally, I'm involved with.、Uh, Animal Refuge Kansai. I'm the deputy chair of this organization. It's an NPO that was established in 1999. That's dedicated to rescue unwanted, abused, and homeless animals. You know, our aim is to help rehabilitate them and then to find them permanent, loving homes. You know, so if you're moving to Japan, you love animals, you want a pet, do not buy. Please adopt. You know. Find、uh, an adoption agency. Go to ARC, you know, and you will find. You know, you can you can find. You know,、um, you can support their cause, but also limit this ongoing trade of animals in Japan, which is pretty sad. I know that we weren't planning on having this conversation, but do you have anything more to say about the topic of animal rights in Japan and how the conditions are for animals in Japan? I, I wouldn't deviate the topic、uh, conversation, but I, I just feel in Japan, you know, there are more pets than than children, and you know that's it's a big industry. So、um, you know, many in there, which causes hoarding. So many many people buy a lot of pets and start to hold them, and then start to you know mistreat them and don't have the resources to take care of them. So often, our organization Ark is called in to help rescue, you know, dozens of pets that. You know, someone has hold,、uh, started holding and don't know how to care for them. So then, you know, we need to go and rescue them, and then find ways to rehabilitate them, and then find them good homes. But yeah, I think it, it's an issue that, and 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 that's not just the case. But、uh, you know, in case of a disaster, you know, when the、uh, earthquake struck in March 11, and then the Kobe earthquake, you know, before that, you know, many you know animals、uh, went homeless, and Ark then helped rescue those animals and. You know, rehabilitate them and find them new homes. I'm glad to hear that you, your organization is putting in such good work on that, and also just that there are so many organizations that foreigners can get involved in, whatever they're most interested in or passionate about. But just going back to the Chamber of Commerce, what does membership to the Chamber of Commerce offer to individuals? Because I think the idea is that oh, I don't have a business and I'm not a part of some big conglomerate, so why would I participate in the Chamber of Commerce? Would you mind telling us a little bit more about what that looks like? 
Sure, it, it really depends from you know chamber to chamber what's their mission um, and their objectives. But in general, you know, as a business person joining any chamber of commerce, you know, you can, you know, participate in their educational events. You can learn. You can network with like-minded people. You can build your career out of that. You know, I hear so many success stories of people finding jobs from people they meet, you know, at these events. Also, if you're planning to start a business, like like I, when I did, I didn't have a clue where to get started. But through networking and interacting with members at these organizations, I started to learn about what is it to do business in Japan, started to build my own contacts of when I wanted to start. And so when the time was right, I did have that network i did have the knowledge i did have the support i did have the mentors to guide me so it really depends on each individual but definitely business and career you know even if you you're you don't have a business you don't have a business yourself or you know you you work for a company that doesn't necessarily see you know the benefit of becoming a member of any chamber individually and and again most chambers offer you know reasonable prices for individual memberships so Usually corporate members are the ones uh, that pay more and, and fund the organization's, uh, you know, activities. But individual membership fees are usually, uh, you know, very reasonable. Pick a chamber. It's an annual fee. And then you participate in their events. And often they also do joint chamber events uh, that are also interesting. So then you can expand your reach beyond the chamber that you are a member of and, you know, and, and learn and grow. Do you have any advice for people who might still feel a little bit allergic to networking as a concept? I have to say I was one of those people not too long ago, so I completely understand the feeling. But what would you say to somebody who might feel anxious at the idea of signing up to an organization for the purpose of going and meeting people and networking with them? Well, networking is, is an art and it, and it takes time if, if you don't have uh, the experience or you initially, you know, um, worried about, um, you know, networking and it can, it can feel daunting. But, you know, everybody there are there for the same purpose to network and to meet new people. So often, you know, the, the best trick I would suggest is go and introduce yourself. Say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm Robert Hall from Custom Media. And then ask questions and listen, you know, because people out there, you know, want to share their story, want to talk about themselves often. So it's actually a good way then that helps you to ease your nerves. And as you go to the next person, the next person, you will, you will learn more. And also you're giving the opportunity to the other person to share, you know, about their, their lives, their stories, their, their business, their experience. And that's a way you can, you can interact with them. And I think once you've done one or two events, you, you'll quickly become broaded. And also then you can form friend circles there. So you're often like, okay, I'm going to the next one. Will you be there? So you start to attend events with, with like-minded business people, like-minded friends that you've made through these events. And then you, you, you start to gain more success and more confidence in going out there networking. You know, in you know, of course, networking events, you, there are a lot of people with sales backgrounds that, They've come there to build their contact list for sales op, uh, opportunities. So they are, they are they're very proactive. And often they would also introduce you. So I'm often introducing others to have you met so-and-so and keeping the conversation moving so that you can move on and meet other people. So those would be little tricks I would recommend. 
Yeah. Yeah. The only way to get better is to actually go and do it. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. The first time and then you know, build the confidence with time. Yeah. And I can back up the idea that asking questions is the best way to really make connections with people because most people just really enjoy talking about themselves. So <laughs> it never hurts to start there. So is there anything else that people should know about the international community in Japan? In your experience, do those organizations tend to be a little bit more integrated between non-Japanese and Japanese people, or do they tend to be mostly non-Japanese? They tend to be mostly non-Japanese, but then there are you know, many Japanese uh, business leaders that are you know, working for multinational corporations in Japan. Who are also members, you know, you'd find they're mostly mid or senior level uh, Japanese executives uh, who are fully bilingual. So I would say it is a good mix, and you know, um, often, you know, there there is if you are looking at a specific chamber, there is a common goal, a common shared interest. Either your business is from that country, or you do business with companies from that country, or you know, there, there is a uh, shared purpose. In your experience, do you think that it is important for people to make an effort to connect with the Japanese population? Because especially if somebody ha- doesn't have those Japanese language skills, it can be a little bit harder to naturally find those situations to meet Japanese people and connect and network with them. Do you have any idea what people can do if they want to be more intentional about making those connections? I think, you know, the societies are the way to go because often, you know, um, Japan-British society or Australia society or America-Japan society, uh, they're mostly run by Japanese who have lived in, in, the, in the US or Europe or UK or Australia, New Zealand. And, you know, so they want to stay connected culturally to that, you know, um, uh, people from that country. And so they're very active in those organizations. And often you'd find, you know, when you start conversations with them, they know more about your country than you do. <laughs> Just like you know more about living in Japan than, than most Japanese do sometimes, right? So they're excited to share their, their life stories and what they did, uh, when they worked, and places they visited while they were in the UK or America. And those are, you know, really nice ways. And, you know, often, you know, they would be open to introducing you to other Japanese, you know, that share the same you know, experiences. So that's one way for you to really kind of interact with the Japanese population in, in business and in society. And again, they are fully bilingual, so language shouldn't be a barrier. And I can see how that would be such an important asset for you as you were building your business. And you mentioned the challenge of finding bilingual staff for your company, but were there any other challenges that you faced starting your company in Japan? Well, when I started 2008, you know, the financial crisis hit. So, you know, the challenge for me at the time was having the resources to, to go and pitch pitch our company, our, our, our services to, to come, uh, you know, to big Japanese companies, right? And I think for me, the challenge at the time was credibility and, you know, we we're one person, two person startup without, you know, full-time staff. So, building the relationship and having the credibility to present your organization to pitch for bigger work, bigger clients and, you know, bigger projects. So that was the biggest challenge at the time. And, you know, the way 
we tackled it was, you know, trying to get initial small projects that we can deliver and give us an opportunity to showcase what we do. Based on that, then we built a good portfolio of clients that we work with and gain credibility. And then based on that, we could get more projects and more clients. So do you have any specific hopes for your company looking forward? Are there any areas that you're hoping to move into or develop more? Yeah, so with with custom media, we have two sides of the business. Uh, we have our owned media and advertising side of the business. And then we have our marketing agency, which is an international integrated marketing agency. So um, we're seeing more growth in uh, our international digital marketing area. So we have seen more and more companies entering the market that are keen to grow and expand in the market. And, you know, due to COVID, a lot of the companies that are planning had to put their plans on hold, but we are seeing a return of, you know, pre-pandemic level interest in Japan. And so we help uh, companies that are entering or expanding in Japan with marketing, market research, and helping them to fine-tune their message for the right target audience. You know, like I said earlier, you know, content is, is, is very important and often translation doesn't do the job. You need to transcreate and understand the nuance of the end consumer and business person that you're doing business with to be able to communicate with them effectively and then provide your service or product to them. Yeah, definitely. Transcreation is so important. And I was lucky enough to have another guest on the podcast go much more in depth on that. So I can definitely see how that's such an important niche to be addressed. So just going back to your personal experiences, does anything come to mind that may have been a communication breakdown due to differences in culture, either in your personal life or professional life in Japan? When I first started working with Japanese businesses, I, I used to wonder why everything took so long, you know, which can lead to communication breakdown, right? But uh, with time, however, I understood that, you know, uh, it's hard to appreciate Japanese business culture, you know. Decision-making in Japan is very consensus-driven you know, which is building a smoother process for implementation in the long run. That's their objective. And because everyone is aware of the decision, most people agree with it, and careful planning has taken place, the implementation, you know, is smoother. Projects get uh, on, on track, right? Another benefit of that is, you know, when different groups or companies are involved, you know, this relatively longer process will be stronger. And, you know, you start to, you know, build trust with the other party and, you know, really helps with implementation through the process, right? But in, in Western cultures, you know, decision-making often comes from the top and then consensus is built around it and then an implementation plan is put together and then we get started and then we figure out things as we go. You know, unlike in Japan, everything's organized, everything's planned. So when execution happens, it's, 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 it's very process-driven. Right. So this different styles of working can cause communication breakdowns. So it's important to be patient, to understand, you know, where the communication is and, you know, understand and adapt to Japanese business culture. And once you've once you've done that, then you feel, oh, this is why it's done this way. And it makes your job a lot easier. And then you actually start to appreciate, you know, thorough and well documented their processes are and how everyone's on board and you know things happen on time you get paid on time so 
it has it has all the benefits so so if you were speaking to somebody who is going to Japan for business and you only had time to teach them one thing about the country or its culture ahead of time, what would you encourage them to learn? Oh, that, that is a tough question. <laughs> I, I would say, well, if you're visiting Japan for business for the first time, and this might look petty, uh, but uh, you know, bring a lot of business cards, preferably in Japanese language as well, because, you know, Business card exchange is 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 a part of the process. Like very early on, you know, uh, when doing business with with Japanese, it formulates the entire relationship, right? Uh, and you know, you know how you receive and give a business card also says a lot about about how you know cultured you are to Japanese business practices, and can it's all about that first impression, and can make a, you can make a very good first impression that you can then go on to build your business, right? So bring plenty full of business cards uh, even if you're doing you know a business in japan that would be my one advice and if you're a tourist uh, one thing that i've experienced i mean having worked in, in the hospitality sector there's no tipping culture in japan it can be considered disrespectful so don't don't worry about tipping you know just pay the exact amount if there's change collect your change say thank you arigato gozaimasu and then leave and bring a lot of cash as well you know japan is definitely uh, starting to accept more credit cards and digital payments, but then, you know, smaller establishments, and especially once off the beaten track, they still, you know, cash is king. So be prepared to, you know, bring a lot of cash because uh, I've been traveling, you know, the last year. I'm just amazed by the you know, implementation of digital payments everywhere you go. Everything's credit card or just touch. So less cash, more digital but here it's more cash. Yeah, definitely. Two great things to keep in mind when you come here. So is there anything that we didn't get to talk about or that you wish that we had talked more about in today's conversation or anything you wish I had asked you? We covered a lot. <laughs> no, I think I think we had a really good conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with you and you know, shared as much as I could. And I hope it's of benefit to your your uh, listeners. I listened to quite a few of your podcasts as well. I really enjoyed you know your wide variety of content and to help people to succeed in business. And thank you. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your time. You're welcome. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. If you'd like to learn more about Robert, Custom Media, Go Connect, or find more information about travel websites, chambers of commerce, and societies, or volunteer groups in Japan, be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and share it with a friend, colleague, or connection on LinkedIn to help spread the perspectives and information shared in the podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using, and also leave a rating and review if you enjoyed the podcast. If you would like to support the podcast, please check out my link to the show's coffee page, ko-fi, to keep me well-caffeinated and making content. As always, feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. I'd love to hear from you directly, so if you'd like to leave a voice message, you can find the link to do so in the description as well. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondo!